Hello everyone, nice to see you all. If it's your first time to visit us, it's great to see you and for everyone online as well. Hope you have a great morning with us as we get on to the next bit of our series. Are you enjoying yourself so far? Yes, we are. We? It's good to spend some time together. Now then, yes, Martha, I'd like to do a little bit about rescuing this morning. I was good that was. I would have definitely needed armbands if I had gone on one of those things, let me tell you. And uh, Naomi had to get rescued as a young child. She locked herself in the bathroom, and my family got a bit dramatic, called the fire brigade to get out the toilet. Why don't you just phone me and work out to come down and sort it out? But no, it needed half a dozen firemen to come and save Naomi, coming up the stairs with their gas masks and their cylinders to free this three-year-old child stuck in a bathroom. And by the time uh, they got into the bathroom, Naomi had cleaned it. It was cleaner than it had ever been. And she still got those skills. So thank you, Naomi. That's good. We're locked in the bathroom again. Well done. Now then, we're on to our next bit of our Daniel series, which is good. First of all, I want to just talk very briefly about this young man here who's going to come up on the screen for us, Sean McDonald. Now, Sean is a real Swansea boy. And um, going back in the day when we used to do like fun days down in Blyna Mice, we did um, this like, little sports tournament, a football tournament, and Sean was perhaps like a little eight or nine or ten-year-old, and you could see this, this little lad was brilliant at football. The ball was like stuck to his foot, and he'd go past people, and he'd tackle people, and what, I, and what you'd see as well is his friends were all around, they, used to, they loved him. He was like a, a Peter Pan, you know, they were, uh, Peter Pan, no, what's, uh, what's the other one, the one who follows people, I don't, can't even remember, Pied Piper, that's the one, not Peter Pan, although he does look young for an old man. Um, but Sean, has, um, I follow him on social media, and he's recently retired from football. He's 33, played for Swansea, played for Bournemouth, played for Yeovil, he's played for another couple of teams, and also he has um, Welsh caps as well. So a great player, he's had terrible injuries during his um, career, but he's a real family man as well. He's got young children, and when you follow him on social media, it's very interesting, his story. But what intrigues me is the fact now that he's retired from football and he's 33 and he's had to retire from football. He's made that decision. And I always find this intriguing how all of us, we have different ideas about retirement and what is a good age to retire and when is it, you know, the right time. You know, there may be financial constraints or health issues or all these different things which happen in our lives which get us thinking about retirement. And I remember, you know, some people may want to um, retire for traveling purposes or going to the beach more or spending time in the garden or pursue hobbies. Perhaps grandparents want to spend more time babysitting the grandkids. For other people I know want to work or do part-time work or voluntary work or do something new or invest in a new venture. And the, there are others who I've spoken to who have already retired who say they're so busy in retirement, they don't know how they had time to go to work full-time after all these years. So very interesting how that all works out. So a big up to all you people who are at retirement age who've spent a very busy life and um, getting to grips with, with new things as well. You know, technology. My dad is 75 now. The amount of times I get text message, Dad. Nothing in, in the text box. <laughs> and then missed call from Dad. Like, Dad, how's it going? Anything all right? What do you mean? I haven't phoned you. He's a, he's a Cockney, by the way. That was a Cockney accent. Yeah, so 
you know, he just rings me by accident when the phone's in his pocket because you're the jangling or he's watching football on TV or he's talking to my mother about something, you know, who, you know, who should we do with the dishes and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, sometimes when you get older, messing around with technology can be a big challenge, all right? So, just want to say we, we are so grateful for, for those who are at a senior age. We love you so much and we have respect. That is a good thing to respect our older generation. Not only have they run a marathon of life, but an ultra-marathon, because we can live much older these days, can't we? You know, an ultra-marathon. We've got ultra-marathon runners here, 52 miles. Man, can you imagine running 52 miles? I come out in a sweat thinking if I had to walk that far, can you imagine? Good gosh. So, so yes, yeah, so you older generation people, we love you very much. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about that this morning, because the next part of the series, our main people in this talk are Darius the Mede, the king who's taken over Babylon, and Daniel. Now, Darius, we read, is now 62. So he's, you know, he's, he's now into this phase of his life, and he's just become, you know, the, the boss of Babylon, for want of a better word. And Daniel is into his 80s. He's into his 80s. So we're looking at um, Daniel and the lion's den today. So just imagine the backdrop of that. You know, Darius is 62, and Daniel is already into his 80s. So we want to take a little closer look at this famous encounter with Daniel in the lion's den. So he's no nearer to a quiet life or a state pension. He's been exiled to a foreign land as a prisoner in his mid-teens, and he's still serving at you know, the highest level in Babylon. And if you remember from last week's part of the series, the writing was on the wall for King Belshazzar. Through pride and rejecting God, you know, that was it for him. It was like the beginning and the end of his downfall, and that was it. And of course, Daniel um, kind of unpacked the meaning of the writing of the wall. So let's look very quickly at the end of that last chapter that Sean um, spoke about last week. And uh, this is how it goes, that last verse. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay, so we see that, you know, that his age is there. It's, you know, for a reason, okay? So the Medes and the Persians are joined forces to overthrow this chap. So what we're going to do now is we're going to read chapter 6, so we're into the next chapter, to find out what's happened, the takeover of Babylon, how this is now going to affect Daniel and, and the nation, and all this kind of thing. Now, Sean, would you mind passing me my drink of water, please, before I read this out? Thank you very much. Right then, are you sitting carefully, safely? Are you strapped in? Are you ready for some excitement? I'm seeing some very excited faces here this morning. We're going to read like chapter six. This is like lions eating people and stuff like that. Right, so it's all happening this morning. It's not your normal Sunday morning, is it? You want to read about lions potentially eating people. Right then, so here we go. Daniel chapter six. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. And I have found out how to pronounce satraps, and that's how YouTube says you should say satraps. So don't laugh at me if, you, if I'm saying it wrong, because YouTube said this is how you say it. Right. Just want to say that because I say it a few times, okay? 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them. 
one of whom is Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you. Your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, and he gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown in to the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order. And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent. In his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
At the king's command, the men had, who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, what a chapter, what an interesting part of history, what um, an amazingly powerful encounter that we see here. And there's a few lessons that we can learn, there's a few things we can pull out from this part of the series this morning. So first of all, Darius was a seasoned campaigner, a military man, and he was now ruling Babylon. And he established an administration to manage the kingdom's affairs and set up 120 provinces. The, this, uh, these satrap people, okay, that the word comes from, like a protector of the province. So these guys were set out into the different areas to oversee the different parts of the kingdom. And with Daniel, he was one of the top three administrators who these satraps were accountable to. So the, all these people already had, you know, big important jobs. But Daniel was like over, over those guys as well. So they were accountable to him. So why Daniel, after years of service, an older man, what was so special about him that the new ruler would want him on board? Well, let's take a look. I'm going to look at verse 3 to, to consider this. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, the thing about exceptional qualities really struck me when I was reading this, okay? What was it about Daniel? Well, good leaders recognize good leaders. And Darius would have, you know, he'd, he'd done a lot of leading in his time, and he saw something in Daniel that was different, that was helping him stand above the rest. Like, good teachers would recognize good teachers, and, you know, good bakers would recognize good bakers, and good athletes would recognize good athletes, and great musicians would recognize great musicians as well. You know, sometimes we've we got different skills. And when, if, if any of us have ever developed a skill in our lives, or we've, or we've trained on something, or we've, you know, we recognize those skills in other people, then, because we know about the pain and the hard work that goes into honing those skills. So when we see other people functioning in those roles and responsibilities, it's like, oh, yeah, I really appreciate that about this person. So Daniel had honed his skills and been tested in his life, and it becomes apparent. So we've studied and seen in the first few chapters particular skills and giftings at work in Daniel. So from a teenage prisoner confronted with the dilemma of accepting the king's food and wine, I don't know if you can remember that going back a few um, chapters ago, he negotiated carefully and he didn't compromise his faith of the food and the wines which have been you know, potentially sacrificed to other gods and he wanted to honor God in his life and he negotiated at such a young age that his diet would be a healthy diet and one that was, you know, caution and things like this. So he had a handle 
on his physical wellness with his diet, but also his sacrifices went to honor God. He had a handle on his spiritual life as well. And these two things combined together, the handle on our spiritual lives and our commitment to God, and then a handle on our physical lives and how we look after ourselves the best as we can, those combined together gives us an opportunity, you know, to, to live life to the full. And here we see Daniel really, you know, doing the best that he can, okay? And we also read about that he, sh- he had great academic promise as well, because those guys were brought in from exile from Judah into Babylon to serve in the palace and this kind of stuff. They were picking out those guys who had the potential, who understood literature and wisdom. We read that Daniel had an aptitude for literature and wisdom. And uh, he, throughout his life then, lived a long life of serving. He served Nebuchadnezzar and he served Belshazzar, those two kings. And Daniel was very courageous. We know about the dreams that he interpreted and he went with courage to explain what they meant to those kings, knowing the implications of what would happen if he got it wrong. So Daniel had governance, he was a spiritual advisor, and he had administrative responsibility. Now, I'm not sure many of us here today would handle working for Darius in Babylon with 120 satraps looking to to us for leadership. But in what way can we develop these exceptional qualities in our lives? Every person sitting on a seat here today, everyone listening at home, do you know there are skills giftings that God has put within you, within me, to develop in our lives, in our life's journey, to serve others, to, to do the best that we can, not in a, you know, an over, you know, stressful way, but there are exceptional qualities that God wants to develop in our lives, and certain skills which, you know, only, you, you know, we can really focus on. Now, I want to tell you a little story about a washing machine repair. Um, now, going back many years ago, our washing machine broke. The band had come off the drum. So me being, you know, I'm not an electrician, but I had done some engineering, but mechanical engineering. So I thought, right, as long as the plug's out, you can't go wrong. Pull the back machine off, add a mess around with it, put the band on, plug it back in, started it, not happened again. So I did this on three occasions. The fourth occasion, somehow I forgot to pull the plug out and turn the electricity off. So, when I stuck my hands into the gubbins of the machine, that's all I can tell you, it was a bang. And literally, it was like an out-of-body experience. Because I was looking around, dazed, thinking, where's this car? I've been hit by a car. And I was looking around, I thought I was dead. I was like, and the house was in darkness, and there was no sign of people. I thought, oh my goodness, I wouldn't expect this doesn't happen when you die, surely. And then I started coming to by the kitchen door opening and the kids, like the three of them running in, Dad, our DVD has gone off. <laughs> and then Sean coming out to the shop because she had a customer, you know, beauty therapy and all that. And she was like, oh, my light's just gone off in the shop. And I'm like, um, I should be dead. Am I dead? <laughs> so what I'm trying to say here is you're going to leave things like this to the professionals, right? Now, this part of life, this season of life, we've all got our masks on, all right? Now then, if you've got a material mask, I'm preaching, you know, because I've been preaching this to my family for the last 18 months. If you've got a material mask, 
don't put it in the washing machine. Do you know why? Because it goes down by the drum and it gets stuck in the filter. I don't know if anyone had that problem. It's happened four times in my family. All right? Twice I've been able to pull it out myself, get the filter out, pull it out, no problem. Another two times I just couldn't find it and I've had to get the professional out to do his job, okay? Now the engineers come out, communication on time, thorough job, he's on it, you know, great communicator, come out, spends his time there for a couple of hours, gets it done, job done properly, cleans up after him, goes the extra mile, even fitted part of the pump bit that should be mounted up there, and he was always down there and he did that and the pricing was very reasonable. And when he left my house, you know when you've got a relief, as someone's come in, they've done a good job, reliable, and said, oh look, that's why we need people with skills and these abilities, because I can't do it, I will you know, blow myself up or someone else, and let's leave it to the professionals. So this chap is excellent. You know, I could trust him and he's reliable, but I'm only seeing the professional level of his life, okay? This person come in, done a job. I have no idea about his background, his character, his lifestyle choices, his spiritual background. And when we consider our Christian faith, it's important to combine our personal life choices with our attitude towards our workplaces and our callings in life. This, all this thing about calling, gifting, and character, okay? It's very important that we get these things like running together, okay? And we're all in the journey, like we're all growing in God, so we're developing our character in our Christian faith. And this is, you know, good to do that. And Daniel was a great example of this. And in our membership course with the church here, part of the course, we talk about this gifting and character, that when we have a responsibility of, you know, serving God in the church place and in the, in the public eye, that our lives are right and we're honoring God in our lives and our relationship choices and how our lifestyles are growing, that we're honoring God in those things as well. And every person here has a unique contribution to benefit the church and the world around us. And through finances, through serving with our skills, with our commitment and a great attitude, we can really go for it in this. Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, cha- uh, Romans 12 yes, chapters 3 to 8. I'm just going to read to us quickly here. Humble service in the body of Christ. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Humble attitude in serving one another. As we're all in Christ, as we read there, Every person, every member belongs to one another. Just if you imagine like a sports team who work together as a team or a squad and everyone has their own different function in that team. Just like if we work for an organization and there's different departments in this organization, there can be human resources and finance and R&D and manufacturing, purchasing, sales, quality, and all these different departments that make up an organization. Everyone has their own different skills. Everyone has their own different responsibilities. But together, for the greater good, they work together 
to make that organizational company successful? Well, here, it's much bigger than an organization. Church, although in terms of management, has to be organized. In terms of the spiritual implications of our giftings and how we adapt and apply ourselves to one another, the body of Christ, that is the biggest calling you're ever going to get in your life, is to serve one another to belong to the body of Jesus and to go about things with a great attitude and doing things with, you know, in a way that honors God. So be encouraged to apply faith in every action of service because God, you know, is in the mix of it all. He sees the slightest thing. If someone has a mercy gift who loves others and wants to serve and help, you know, let's do these things cheerfully and with God in mind because it's him who we serve so, similarly to Daniel, then, we too can honor God through service. For him, it was in a culture that was turned from God. But we see that godly wisdom and perseverance endures. Daniel's ministry, his life endured. And today, what are those exceptional qualities we are looking to develop in our lives to benefit other people? And it doesn't matter how old, what age we are today, in this room, listen at home, or wherever we are, you know, age doesn't always come into it. God is more interested in our heart condition and being open to him. And, the, you know, the smallest, like, little crumb or crust of something you want to put in faith to give to God, to serve others, God can multiply it, bless it, bring it into action and fruit. So don't let a number and age stop us from doing amazing things in God's kingdom because age is not a limiting factor. You know, I know health can be a limiting factor. I know sometimes our personal home circumstances can be a limiting factor. But if we have the ability to pick up a phone and encourage someone to take, you know, a bag of chips to somebody else who might be struggling to get out of the house, those little acts of service, of generosity, of faithfulness make a huge difference in the world that we live in. So let's continue to be... Um, you know, honoring God in that. And don't let age be a hindrance to it as well. Okay, so was there a secret to Daniel's resilience an ability to withstand pressure from external sources? How does he respond to yet another threat upon his life, upon his faith, upon his reputation and safety? There had been a huge conspiracy to discredit him, to trip him up, to even bring him to death. And these circumstances were engineered to bring his downfall. Now, verse 10 lets us in on a little clue. Let's have a little read here now. So now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. And he gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. He did what he'd always done. He brought it to God. He already had a strong relationship with his Lord. He'd honored him throughout his life. And here he was doing the same thing he's always done. He was praying to God. He was being open and honest with God. He was still giving thanks in all circumstances. Even under the threat and pressure of the world around him, he was still submitted to the will of God. And he didn't back down in the face of opposition. We can take some encouragement from that today. In the face of opposition, we can still approach God in that. 
And there's no greater example of this than Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we hear the most heartfelt prayer when he takes his friends, Peter, James, and John. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he knew his crucifixion was imminent. And in Mark 14, 36, we read that Jesus prayed this, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. So here we see the total human condition, but the total submission to God's will, the positioning of the heart, even in facing death and death on the cross. And when Daniel was under the pressure of what was going to happen next, there was nothing more to do than just to spill the heart's anguish to God who knows us and created us and knows the number of days in our lives and has given us a way to know him, to be assured about our life on earth and the life to come in eternity. And here there was a position of the heart in Jesus, the total will and submission to God. And of course, we totally understand this as nobody really wants the threat of death being forced upon them. Nobody wants that, do they? And in the words of the comedian Phil Wang, for me, dying is a lot like camping. I don't want to do it. <laughs> but in the height of danger, there was this turning to God in prayer, and it was normal for Daniel. And we read that he has a pattern of prayer in the morning, in the evening, and in the midday, and he retired to his upstairs room three times a day, not being held back in his relationship with God, not taking a step back through the pressures of what was going on around him. There's King David throughout the Psalms, we read of his um, love of God and in the different you know, pressures and challenges that came upon him and some things that he created for himself, there is this total conversation with God, the outpouring of the depths of the heart's desires and difficulties and challenges. And Jesus, in his patterns of prayer, when sometimes he would retreat from the crowds and be refreshed and energized again in his relationship with his Father in heaven. And that was what was like refilling the tank when there was a lot of giving out and doing the do. There was this opportunity to refill the tank. So what can we glean from the Bible's spiritual powerhouses here? Well, first of all, our prayerful relationship with God through Jesus is so, so important. And we can learn to communicate with God, and it takes time. Just like it takes time for a baby to develop speech and to communicate. For us as Christians, we learn how to communicate with God, and we find a rhythm in life that works and helps us, you know, get that relationship with God into such this close, you know, intimate relationship. And for each of us, we're on a journey in that. And no matter whether we feel, you know, we're at the, the height of being in prayer with God or we feel far from God and not praying at all, we can learn and develop our prayer life in such a real way. And we can do that practically as well. Now, recently, as small groups together, as church members here, we meet together in small groups. We went through, we did a course uh, which was in, um, created by Pete Gregg. And uh, the 24-7 prayer course was a great way of finding out how we can develop our prayer lives. And also, um, Peter's written a book called How to Pray, and I've got that downloaded on my Audible app, so I can listen to it, you know, not stop reading, you know, I can listen to it when I'm in the car, et cetera, et cetera. And it is such a great um, resource to think about 
prayer, perhaps in a new way. So he covers all, you know, your, your standard stuff that you'd hear about, you know, the Lord's Prayer and this, that, and the other. But Pete does dig into the depths and the, um, the flexibility of prayer and what works for different people and different personalities. So if you do get a chance and you think, you know what, I would like to develop my prayer life, this is a great way of doing that, okay, just to, to throw that out there. So if we are currently have a limited prayer life, or a very healthy prayer life, you know, somewhere in between, let's be encouraged through Daniel's prayer habits that, you know, we can overcome a lot. We can understand God a lot for the the, the desires that he has for our lives. So let's be encouraged with that. And finally, just in closing and finishing off this chapter, we just want to have a little look now about this bit about being thrown into the lion's den. Daniel had been set up by the dastardly deeds of those around him. Even the king who'd been tricked into agreeing this decree couldn't save Daniel from the law because the law had been set up and that's how it worked. But God saved Daniel by keeping the lion's mouths closed. So not a hair on his head was harmed. I'm assuming he's got hair, he's an 80-year-old man. No wound was found in him is what we read. And the accusers, their wives and children, were instead fed to the lions. So there's a few things that we can pull out from this particular part. And it's this, this is like the last thought to highlight is Daniel's response to Darius in this. And I just want to read these verses here from chapter 20 to 22. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? So like he's like handing it over there like... And Daniel answers, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So Daniel's response here is one of integrity and submission to the king. He's still, you know, he's gone through all this, yet he has integrity and submission. You know, that is a big life event, isn't it? Being thrown into a pit with a lion and it hasn't eaten you. You know, fair enough, it's like you when there's a cage and the lion's behind it, you can't get to, but this is like, um, I would be slightly nervous. You know when they say like dogs pick up on your nervousness and they come and, you know, lick you or jump up on you? Well, this is like a lion, which is slightly different, big claws, everything. It wasn't like we licked by a lion, would you? No, I would have been coming out the lion's den. I can't believe you chucked me in the lion's den, for goodness sake. I've been serving this country for 80 years and you've chucked me in the lion's den, thanks. You know, we'd all have a bit of a different attitude, I think. Well, anyway, Daniel had integrity and submission. So what was this all about? Daniel and the lion's den. You know, what, you know, what is the purpose of this being in the Bible for us? Well, like Matthew mentioned earlier, there's a clear rescue mission of God at play in the world around us. And it has been there for many years and is here now. Here we see that Daniel is innocent He's in the den with a stone roll before it, yet he emerges, emerges triumphant and saved. And from that, even Darius is proclaiming God, the Babylonian king who's a, a Mede, who's come into this kingdom. And these are the words now of a king who is not familiar with, with God in, in a way that Daniel was. But even like the Spirit of God now is upon his words and upon his edict and upon his leadership in this nation. And this is what the king says. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. 
for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And if you remember, going right back to the start of this, the Israelite tribes had turned from God, they turned to idolatry, and hence they get, you know, they're taken over and they get exiled into Babylon. And we see God's rescue plan at work, that Daniel has honored God throughout his life to such an extent that even these kings are now recognizing the true God at work and even declaring the rescue plan of God. And here, by seeing God's goodness, it's proclaimed now by Darius to all people and through the fruit of Daniel's life that now the kingdom of God is being spoken about. And we see the parallels of this chapter into the parallels of Jesus' mission on earth when God sent his only son, Jesus, to come into the world, to die on the cross, to let us know that God is interested in our lives, that he wants to know us in a true way. So we see this parallel of Jesus at work, of course, going into the tomb and coming back, being resurrected, going to heaven with the Holy Spirit being sent to us. And Jesus, of course, did no wrong. He was perfect, executed, though innocent. And we read how the stone was rolled away and Jesus was victorious over death. And we recognize the kingdom of God at work, available for anyone who believes and calls on the name of Jesus. So if we can take something away from this chapter six today and from the message of the lion's den, of Daniel's experience, is to know the rescue plan of God in our lives, that he doesn't want to leave us alone struggling in our life, but that through faith in Jesus, we can know the eternal love and kindness and forgiveness of God, that we can know his love for us, his rescue for us, in such a real way. So never underestimate the impact of a life well lived because it ushers in something of God in our relationships and in the world we live in today. So let's remember to honor God with the gifts that we have, to develop our characters in a way that you know, honors God. And I know none of us are perfect, but we can certainly you know, allow God to develop our characters. Let's serve one another in the church place and the workplace and at home and all the responsibilities that we have. Let's develop our prayer lives and be in touch with God and know him more and experience him more and more in our lives. And let's remember the rescue plan of God for us personally, but for those who don't know him yet. Those three things, if we can take them away with us today, that's, that's good. So let's close our eyes and I shall pray and hand back over to Math. Yes, Lord, we thank you so much for this section of Daniel's story and his life, Lord, even as an old man, to be honoring you all the way, Lord. And we recognize your rescue and your honoring touch upon his life and upon your openness, Lord, to restoring that relationship with your people, Lord. Today we sit here and we stand here knowing your love and forgiveness for our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, in our, in our life, in our gifts and abilities and those things that you would develop in, a, in us now, Lord. We just want to 
Give those to you, Lord, as, as a way of serving you and helping others, Lord. And also in our characters, Lord, in our day-to-day. It would help us to be the same in the church place, in the workplace, in our homes. And wherever we're at, Lord, that we're developing this, you know, love and relationship in you, Lord, in our prayer lives. And, of course, your rescue, Lord. We really submitted to your rescue plan, Lord. The good news of Jesus in our lives and for those around us who don't know you yet, Lord. We continue to pray and reach out with your love and with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew.